middle, and I don't know where we're at. We're in it. And, uh, you know, I've said with a number of people, um, the one job I would not want to be having right now is our premier's job as he tries to make the decisions for our province, our prime minister for our country. And so let's pause and let's pray uh, for them and, and for us as we navigate this journey we're on. Let's pray for a moment. God, thank you for the privilege that we have to continue to meet, whether it's online, uh, through our online service, and I know many, many are gathered there. Thank you for that opportunity and that privilege that we have, the capacity that we have to gather online. Thank you for the privilege that we continue to meet in person too, and to be able to see each other's eyes is a good thing too. God, I pray that as we navigate these moments and these days, God, I pray for those that are in leadership over us. And it's got to be hard. And I know we all have different views on what's going on and what's not happening. But God, I pray for um, our Prime Minister Trudeau, uh, for our Premier Kenny, uh, for our Dr. Henshaw and our doctors and nurses that are on the front lines that are trying to keep those numbers down in our hospitals and ICUs. And God, it's complicated. And I don't want to pretend to know that, that I don't want to pretend to know that I know what's going on. But God, I know you know. And this has never been a surprise to you. You are still on the throne. And so, God, we look to you to be our strength and our comfort, that you would, be, you would give us wisdom. And I pray that you'd give wisdom to these folks that are leading us uh, in these complicated times. And that you would give us, as just regular people, that you would help us to know how to navigate these days as well. Give us strength and courage to make those hard changes in our life to accept what's coming down and what is being given to us, that you would give us um, the reminder that we are to respect and honor those in authority over us. And so, God, I pray your blessing on these folks that are leading us, that give them courage to make wise choices and decisions that affect us all. And I pray for our church that you would bless us in these days too. Remind us of the truth that we are uh, your hands and feet in our communities and in the places we work and that we are your voice as well in these places and spaces, God. Thank you for the, this opportunity to gather again this morning. We pray your blessing on this service and on these words that you've entrusted. In Jesus' name, amen. So, have you seen the movie uh, put out by Disney called The National Treasure? Anybody seen it? Mr. Dixon, Pastor Scott has. Uh, the National Treasure has actually two uh, movies, one and National Treasure 2. Um, and the main character is Benjamin Franklin Gates. Uh, and he's obsessed, in this first movie anyway, he is obsessed with finding the legendary Knights Templar treasure. Um, the Knights Templar began around the early 1100s A.D., and they were a highly trained Catholic military order who fought in the Holy Land during the time of the Crusades. Uh, the organization became hugely wealthy and became powerful bankers and money, money lenders uh, in, in Europe. And so, this character, and again, uh, some credit goes to Disney Plus for helping me summarize this movie for us this morning. Um, so this character, Gates, was set out on finding some long-lost treasure of the Knights Templar. And as Gates tried uh, to find and de uh, decipher ancient riddles uh, that would lead him to this treasure, 
Uh, he's dogged by a ruthless enemy. I'm, I'm echoing just a little bit there, Rick, sorry. Um, he's, he's got an enemy, of course. That's all movies do, right? Uh, and this enemy wants this treasure as well. So now, in the race against time, Gates must steal, yes, I said steal, one of the America's most sacred and guarded documents, the Declaration of Independence. Ha. Or let it and a key clue to the mystery fall into dangerous hands. So he goes uh, to, such, uh, to such a length to find this treasure. Does he find it? Does the treasure actually exist? You'll have to watch the movie. It's a great movie about someone in an all-out search for a great treasure. Um, and this morning, we're going to look at a story that Jesus told about a treasure and, and what it took to get this treasure. And this is the final parable in our series of parables of Jesus. And this one is taken from Matthew 13. So if you have your Bibles, uh, if you're online, there's a, a little click uh, spot where you can click online for a Bible or on your devices. Matthew 13. And it's really only one verse, though there's kind of two that are together, but we're only going to read one verse this morning. Matthew 13, verse 44. And this parable follows a whole series of parables. And, uh, and Jesus says in verse 44 of Matthew 13, The kingdom of heaven is like the treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he had... He hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. That's it. The second one is about a pearl, which is very similar to that. But we're just going to look at this one, the, the hidden treasure. I was a little hesitant to preach on this parable because I, when I came across it. And as I thought and prayed about it, I'm going, no, I'm going to jump into this one. Because myself, along with... Some commentary writers have always taken this parable a certain way when you've read it. And then as I read through it again in some context and did some reading and digging, I tweaked, I guess if you will, how I interpret this, this parable. Some have understood the kingdom of God here as something that is so awesome, it's like a treasure, and that when discovered, one would do anything for it. Go and sell everything in order to obtain this treasure. Salvation through Christ. Our salvation, something that is such a valuable treasure. And that is true. And yet there is a one little problem with that view. And that is that the kingdom of God is not something that one can buy. In this verse it says that the man who found this treasure, in his excitement he hid again, hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. And it would have been known that anyone who owned the field would have, um, would have owned whatever was in the field. And so the man found the treasure, left it alone, and went and sold everything he had to purchase the field in order to obtain treasure. And it's pretty clear in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 8, it says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for it. It is a gift from God. Salvation cannot be bought. It is a free gift. You don't buy it. You cannot buy it. 
So, this field is the people in the world, which seems to be pretty consistent uh, through these parables. And if you look back uh, to the beginning of chapter 13, uh, I talked about this parable a couple weeks ago, where the farmer went out and planted his seed in the field. We see here that the field refers to the people, the world. So it would be consistent to understand that the same to be true in these verses as well. So who is, who's the one that sold everything to purchase this field, the world? It was God who gave his all, his only son to purchase the world. That is to purchase the field to get this treasure. The treasure is you and I, the body of Christ, his church, and God paid with his son's life for the field in order to get the treasure. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. John 3.16. For God so loved the world. You might well say that Jesus created all things. He owns it all. It was his to begin with. He did, but actually we gave it up to Satan back in the garden. And I was reading a guy by the name of Chuck um, Smith, and he said, uh, and he explained it using Matthew 4, which was when Jesus was tempted by Satan. When Satan took Jesus up, he says, verse 8 of chapter 4 of Matthew, it says, Next the devil took Jesus to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. I will give it all to you, Satan said, if you will just kneel down and worship me. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus said. For the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. So Jesus didn't dispute who the world belonged to. It belonged to Satan, the prince of this world. Because man had forfeited it to Satan. Jesus came to redeem the world. Jesus didn't have a problem with Satan going, this is, this is all mine and I'll give it to you. He did have a problem with the process. Jesus came to redeem it back to God, but not by bowing down to Satan, but by going to the cross and there shedding his blood and paying the price for redemption. And so Jesus purchased the world in order that he might take the bride out of it, his church, the treasure, you and I. We are the treasure. You and I are the treasure, his treasure. Just let that sink in for a moment. You are God's treasure. God gave up everything, his own son, to pay the penalty of our sin so we could be redeemed, taken out of this world to be in God's kingdom forever. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. The rest of that passage in Ephesians 2 is so important as well. Yes, we've been saved by grace, by this free gift. But verse 10 says, For we are God's masterpiece. 
treasure. Do you believe this for yourself? This is the main point of this parable. You are God's treasure. You, you are God's treasure. Do you believe this? Colossians 1, 23. It says, but you must continue to believe this truth and stand firm, firmly in it. Don't drift um, from the assurance you've received when you heard this good news. We must keep preaching this gospel to ourselves and believe it. Preach it over ourselves, for ourselves. We preach it to others, yes, but do you preach it to yourself? Colossians 1.23. But if you go back a few verses, these are really important verses to remember. Verse 15 and following of, of Colossians 1, it says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on, and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in unseen world. Everything was, recru- was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is, beginning. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is... First in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Verse 21, this includes you. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. And as a result, he has brought you into his own presence, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. And then verse 23. But you must continue to believe this truth. And stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. You are his treasure. In other places in Scripture, Colossians 1.13 says, For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear Son, who purchased us, purchased our freedom, and forgave our sins. Did you hear that? There is that truth that we are bought, we are purchased out of the kingdom of darkness. But God has redeemed us, his church, out of this world, the field. Again, back in that previous verses of that Colossians, I want you to personalize those verses for yourself. For he has rescued me. 
Say it. For God has rescued me from the kingdom of darkness and transferred me into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased my freedom and forgave my sins. Another place in Scripture, 1 Peter chapter 2. There's another great verse. 1 Peter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Sounds awfully like a treasure. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. We are God's special possession, his treasure. We need to preach this good news over and over to ourselves and live out of that truth. We need to preach this over ourselves. Just as much as we try to communicate to those around us this truth, we need to preach this to ourselves. And in this verse, it also speaks of a response. When we understand that we are a treasure, we need, there's a response, and the response is that you may declare the praise of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Are you living like you are God's special treasure? Are you? Are you living loved? How are you responding to this truth? Are you declaring the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light? What does that look like? How do you respond? Let me ask this question. How do you respond when someone comes and recognizes you and appreciates you for who you are? Not necessarily for something you've done, but just something really special about you. It's awfully humbling. We're appreciative. But one of the things that often will trigger, it triggers a relational response. It could and it should trigger us into that relationship of who that is. We respond relationally with that. Now, this is God that comes along and says, you, you, and you, and you, and you, and you, you are a treasure. You are my possession. I love you deeply. What does that trigger in you? Last week, Daryl Rosner preached on the ten bridesmaids, the five wise and the five foolish. And the five wise, wise uh, bridesmaids had their lanterns all full of oil and ready. And Daryl asked us if we are ready for Jesus' return. What does that look like to be ready? And then he pointed us to three things that the oil symbolizes. That's a great place to start. He said there's prayer, the Holy Spirit, and God's Word. And as we consider how we ought to respond to the truth that I, that I am a treasure, this is a great place to go to. We lean into the relationship that God has with us. We have these three things. Prayer, this conduit between us and God that we can pray wherever we're at, no matter when 
God is right there waiting and listening. The Spirit of God, the same Spirit that that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, lives in each one of us as a follower of Jesus. He lives in us. He's with us always. And God's Word, His Word to you and to me is right here in a book. On your devices, wherever you're at, we have access to his word. And as we lean into this relationship, in our response to knowing, in our response to being ready, in our response to being rescued from the kingdom of darkness and being transferred into the kingdom of his dear son, who purchased my freedom and forgave my sins. God has rescued me. I'm a treasure. I am his treasure. What does, that, what does that do for you? I think our response is in worship. We'll ask the worship team to come back, and as they do, I want you to think about those words. I am a chosen people. A royal priesthood, a holy nation. I am God's special possession. Let that sink in for a moment. What does that trigger for you? That I may declare the praises of him who called me out of the darkness into his wonderful light. You are truly praising, are you truly praising him? How is that looking for you these days? Again, we're going to conclude this message with a response in praise. And so again, as Pastor Scott said, don't, if you're online, we invite you to stay with us right to the very end. And our response to this message is really about praise and worship and understanding that we are His treasure. Again, let's stop and reflect on that truth. We're going to sing the same song that we, um, we sang just before this message. Your love, O Lord. Your love, O Lord, reaches to the heavens. His love has gone to such an extent to reach us and redeem us. God found the field. He went away and purchased the field with his own son. So my response in understanding that I am a treasure is that I will lift my voice. I know we have to be cautious. We're in a, you know, some restrictions on singing and stuff like that. But I will lift my voice, my heart, my mind to worship him in understanding that I, that you are a treasure of the King of Kings.